In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, let me begin by saying Merry Christmas. I hope that, uh, I hope that yesterday was a wonderful celebration for you, uh, whether you were surrounded by people or at peace uh, at home uh, with just a close-knit group. Um, I, I hope that yesterday was a wonderful day for you, and I hope the entire season of Christmas is wonderful for you. And in the calendar year, in just a couple of days, uh, we will celebrate New Year's. And this time uh, for us in the church is always interesting because the calendar year tells us that the new year will begin in a couple of days. But for us in the church, on the liturgical calendar, the new year begun about five weeks ago. The church starts its year in Advent, and we begin our year waiting for the coming of the Messiah. And we spend those four weeks anticipating his birth, wondering what he will be like, wondering what uh, his introduction into the world will bring, how it will change our own status in the world. And then Christmas comes, and we celebrate, and it's wonderful. And it, it feels to us like a beginning. And in some ways, it is a beginning. It's a beginning to a smaller story. I, I almost feel bad calling it a small story, but when we think about the entire arc of history, it is just such a, a tiny piece. And so for us, we might begin to assume that the Christmas story is the beginning. But I would like to posit today, this morning, that Christmas is really the middle of the story. Now, I think that we feel this way, that Christmas is the beginning of the story, is because all of our Gospels, well, almost all of them, start with this at the beginning. Mark is an exception because Mark is the earliest of the Gospels, and Mark begins with Jesus as a full-grown man, and in the very opening chapter, Jesus comes to the riverside to be baptized by John. And his earthly ministry is starting, like right in the opening chapter. But by the time we get Matthew and Luke and we have more details about his life and the stories have been passed along orally in these communities, and we get these stories that are a little bit more rich in detail, both Matthew and Luke begin their stories with birth narratives. Matthew chooses to do it by giving Jesus lineage and by going back through the ancient times and connecting Jesus to these important figures uh, in Jewish history. And the Gospel of Luke chooses to do it a little bit of a different way. The author of the Gospel of Luke decides to begin with the birth of John the Baptist who will announce the coming of the Messiah, but then very quickly in that first chapter moves into the birth narrative of Jesus. It feels like the beginning of the story. But the Gospel of John just does it a little bit differently, like the Gospel of John usually does. And the passage that we have read this morning, this opening chapter in the Gospel of John, causes us to expand our own minds and imaginations to realize that Christmas, the birth of Jesus, is not the beginning of Jesus' story, but that if you look back all the way into the creation story, into Genesis 1, Jesus was present there. 
We just didn't know it yet at the time. The passage opens with, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and nothing came into being that didn't come through this Word. And this Johannian community, this group of people who uh, the oral tradition of the Gospel of John was raised up in, is written about 110 years uh, after, after the death of Christ. And so this is the oldest gospel and the story that comes along that challenges us to see that Jesus is not simply contained in the 33-year life of one human person, but the universal Christ has existed from the very beginning and stretches into the future beyond what you and I can see. I love this passage it's probably unlike anything else in Scripture. There's really nothing else to compare it to. And John chapter 1 works as kind of a retelling, a reinvention of the creation story, a new way of seeing it. And uh, in writing, there is a term called retcon or retconning. Has anyone ever heard? I know Erica, some other people are, are shaking their head. But retconning is when you introduce a new piece of material midway or further into the story that changes everything else that you have already read and experienced in the story. Sometimes retconning gets a bad rap because we think, oh, it's just lazy writers, right? They're just, they're adding something in because it'll be more convenient for the plot. But this is perhaps the best use of retconning in history and this is an amazing way for us to be introduced into the idea that Jesus is not a plan B for God. This isn't the world was going sideways and things are not going as planned. Oh, I better step in and I better do something. No, Jesus was the plan from the very beginning. And so in John chapter 1, we get a new creation story. A story where we see that Jesus is literally weaved into the fabric of this entire story from day one. And this particular passage brought me great comfort, especially in my teenage years. I would read this passage and Jesus to me would feel so powerful. Felt like he could handle anything that might come his way. And especially in that middle portion when it starts to talk about Jesus as the light of the world. And that this light came into the world and the darkness could not overcome it. And I would read that passage and I would just be like a fist pump because I would think, this is amazing. Darkness will not be able to overcome the light. Yes, this is good news. And now, as I've grown older, I wonder, what does that really mean? What does it mean for light to come into the world? What does it mean for darkness to not be able to overcome the light? Because when I look around in the world today, there is still much darkness. If you turn on the news or live through a pandemic for the last two years, or think about the things that have happened in the world, uh, when pulling out of Afghanistan, some of the horrible things that we saw and witnessed on the television. Literally, I mean, just think about the things that you have witnessed in your life. Does it feel like darkness has been overcome? And so in my adult life, this passage has been 
not as comforting and harder to swallow, except I've realized that some of the metaphor in the Bible needs, it needs practical application to help us to understand it. When I was really young, uh, I was terrified of the dark. I mean, absolutely terrified. I did not want to be left in a room. I remember my, my mom used to clean the church that we grew up in, and I can remember she would go to the hall, she would ask me to stand at the end of the hallway while she went and turned off the lights. And I remember being terrified to even be in a building in the daylight when the lights would be off. And so when it came to going to sleep, right, being covered up and with my eyes closed in a dark room, I was absolutely terrified of this. And to make matters worse, uh, all my life I've, I've suffered from uh, sleep paralysis. And I don't know if you know what that is, but it, it's, it's basically when you're moving from uh, an awake state to a sleep state, your body goes into um, a semi-paralytic state to make sure that you don't flail around and harm yourself while you're sleeping. Except my body would get there more quickly than my mind would. And for a few moments, I would be conscious, and I, 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 my body wouldn't move, and it would be terrifying. You may not know this, but this is where the term nightmares come from. Because in older times, people believed that something was literally sitting on their chest. It feels like you're choking. And this would be a nightmare, a creature called a mare that would sit on your chest. This is where that term literally comes from. And so as a child, I would go through these experiences and I would feel as though I was having a very vivid nightmare and I did not want to be left alone in my room. And so I would beg my parents, please, please don't turn off the light. Just let me sleep with the light on. And so we would have this nightly negotiation. And at one point, my parents said, okay, we're going to turn the lights off, but tonight we're going to sit at the end of your bed, and we're just going to be here with you to show you that there's nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing in this darkness that is going to hurt you. And for a few minutes, I was nervous and anxious, and then the dark became a little less scary to me because my parents were there with me. Someone who I knew who loved me was there in the darkness with me. The, the darkness became more bearable because of a relationship that made me feel safe to be in that space. This is now how I understand the light of the world. Jesus has come into the world. God has come to be with us. In the midst of all of the darkness that surrounds us all the time, life is so difficult and challenging. And sometimes it helps just to know that you do not have to endure this alone, but God is with you in each and every moment. You can bear the darkness because Jesus is here. And you and I are called to be the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. And so our calling in this too is to be like the one who is light to us, the one who darkness could not overcome. And so you and I should not be afraid of the darkness. We should not be afraid of going to places where people are lonely, heartbroken, hurt, or alone. 
In fact, those are exactly the places that you and I are called to go and be like our Savior, to be light in the world and to make darkness more bearable for those around us. Amen.